Jewish audio on Kabbalah.org. Good morning. Welcome. The Chumash portion for today, Thursday of Parshas Kiseitze, or Kiteitze, chapter 23, verse 25. The Torah has a whole set of laws for employer-employee relationships, employer-employee obligations, employer-employee rights, and this is one of them. The Torah says, if the employee is forced to work with food, you can't tell him you can't eat. It's cruel and unusual. However, just because he works with food, it doesn't mean he can go into the pantry and have a good time and eat all day. So there are limits. Verse 25. And this verse, by the way, is one of the examples of how we cannot study the written law without the oral law. Because as we read this verse, it sounds like it's not even talking about an employee. Let's look at 25. When you enter into the vineyard of your friend, of your neighbor, you can eat grapes as your soul desires. Eat as much as you want. Knock yourself out. This seems to suggest that we can enter into our neighbor's vineyard and have his grapes. Not so. As Rashi points out, it means... Employed, if you get a job harvesting your neighbor's vineyard. However, it doesn't mean you can bring your suitcase and or your attaché case or your bag, your Ralph's bag, and fill it with grapes. No. You cannot put it into your vessels. It's only what you eat on the job. Rashi says Rashi very clearly from the Gemara, the Torah clearly speaks of an employee here, that when the employee is in the vineyard of his fellow, eat as your soul desires, like the all-you-can-eat restaurants, eat. As much as you want. The Torah doesn't say you can have one grape or 27 grapes. Eat. However, like a normal person eats. And when you're full, you're full. But not like one of these all-you-can-eat restaurants where you come out and you go to the emergency room. But this is... You can't eat like an elephant. You have to eat like a normal human being. From here we learn, When can you enter as an employee into the vineyard of your neighbor and eat as much as you want to as long as you don't overeat when it's harvest time, when you're picking grapes? When you're putting grapes into the containers and boxes and cartons and crates of the employee, 
of the employer. But in Boladar, if the guy came to do other work, he's plowing, he's hoeing, whatever it is he's doing. Or the cash case, he's crushing the earth under the olive trees. Just because you're working in a vineyard doesn't mean you could eat grapes. Just because you're working in an olive orchard doesn't mean you could eat olives. You have to be harvesting, picking the grapes, harvesting the olives. Then you can eat the grapes or the olives. And these are very fundamental laws in, in Jewish life because they bring out some important teachings. Okay. Next, Halacha. 26, a sister law. When you enter into your neighbor's field, which has grain standing ready to be harvested, you may pluck a few ears of grain, of corn, so to speak, with your hand. But don't take out your sickle and start cutting it down and putting it in your truck. You could take a couple of home to put over the, to roast over the fireplace, but don't overdo it. And again, kisavoy become esreyecha. Rashi, very important. Af zu The Torah also speaks about an employee who is engaged in this particular function. Otherwise, you can't just find yourself in your neighbor's yard and start picking his grapes. Good morning, or. Harvesting his grain, it doesn't work that way. And if truth be told that the laws of employer-employee relations are amazing in Torah law, I was privileged to once be asked to give a lecture about this, and I spent a lot of time researching it, and so much of the applicable law today is rooted in Torah law and rabbinic law. It's, it's, it's fantastic how the Torah takes into account the needs of the, the company, the needs of the employer, and also the individual needs of the employee in such a fair way. And this is a classical example. I mean, why should I allow the guy to eat grapes if he's harvesting my grapes? Bring a, two, a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Says the Torah, no, you can't expect the guy to eat peanut butter and jelly when he's harvesting delicious grapes. It's an amazing sensitivity. Okay, now we enter into a new law. We know that this portion goes law to law. Chapter 24, the laws of divorce. The Torah teaches that the greatest mitzvah that one can perform is being fruitful and multiply, having children, bringing children into the world. And the way to do this in a sacred way, of course, is to marry, is to establish a family. It has often been said that the center of Jewish life is, many people would immediately say, the synagogue. And the answer is no, it's the home. The home of a Jew is the center of Jewish life. So that marriage is what life is all about. It brings about the l'shem yichud kutshebrichu, the synthesis of the male and female divine energies are brought about. This synthesis is brought about in a marriage. And it's a very sacred endeavor. 
That's why marriage is called Kiddushin, sanctity. As the rabbi often says when he performs the ceremony under the chuppah, we have two people merging and meshing as one entity. They now become one, and they're going to spend the rest of their lives fighting which one they become. He says, it's me, and she says, it's me. And, you know, have a good life. Knock yourself out. But that's what marriage is about. Marriage is not a word, it's a sentence. Just a joke. Just a, I hope my wife isn't watching. Okay. Uh, chapter 24, verse 1. So the Torah says, marriage is important. Marriage is what it's all about. But God forbid, sometimes the marriage doesn't work. We're not Catholics. We don't have Catholic marriages. The marriage can end. Preferably, it doesn't end. Preferably, people are married for the rest of their lives. However, sometimes the marriage doesn't work. And there's a whole debate in halacha. Divorce. Does divorce have to be fault? You know, there are certain, I don't know today, but it used to be states that there were fault divorce, no fault divorce. Does a person have to do something terrible in the marriage? So halacha says, if a person does something terrible in the marriage, that's certainly a cause for divorce, and even then you should, you, you should try and reconcile, if possible. But ultimately, sometimes there could be just irreconcilable differences. There's a whole debate in halacha. One opinion says that uh, only adultery is cause for marriage. The other says uh, for, for divorce. <laughs> Getting old. Uh, there's another opinion that says that uh, if she burned his food, like, like this guy, like this guy says, my wife thinks I'm a god every day. She brings me burnt offerings. And the, the, there's another opinion that says even even if he saw somebody prettier than her. So ultimately, the Torah cannot tell people when not to get divorced. Nevertheless, marriage is a sacred thing which should be for life. This is the mother load. This is the source of the laws of divorce. One, ki yikach ish isho, if a man will take a wife, uva'olo, and become one with her, v'hoyo, and shall come to pass, im leisim tzachem be'enov, if she does not find favor in his eyes. Why? Ki motzabo ervas dover, because he found something unseemly. And as the commentaries say, that she committed adultery, and there were witnesses. Then there's only one way to terminate a marriage. Marriage itself can come about in different ways. There are various ways by Torah law of bringing about a marriage, a divorce, there's only one way, and that is a document, a get. The Nosan, he has to write a bill of divorce, and this is written by a scribe, and it's written in a certain way, and it's written with 12 lines, and there's so many rules and regulations governing this 
bill of divorce known as a get. He then has to place it in her hands and sends her from his house. And of course, the Torah is talking about one scenario. There are a million scenarios in divorce. When he does, and again, if there are witnesses, then it's a mitzvah for him to divorce her. So that she should not find favor in his eyes, because this is called biblical adultery, which is a very serious thing when there are witnesses that she committed adultery. Now what happens is, verse 2, the Yotza Mibesei, the, the Balaturim says, Bo, in one, Bo Ervas Dover, Roshetavis, the three words, Bo Ervas Dover, look at the first letter of those three words, Be'aid, with a witness. Because, a davar shebe'erva, an immoral act, is only a reality when there are witnesses. Meaning that one can never be prosecuted without witnesses. And again, there are many, many requirements with the writing of the get and the giving of the get, and the Balaturim brings out some points, which I'm not going to go into right now. Verse 2, now the Torah is painting a certain scenario. The So she leaves his house. And then, ultimately, she remarries. She marries another man. Now, the Torah is using the scenario of... He was a good guy. She was not. She committed adultery. There were witnesses. It was not a good thing. She goes, he divorces her, and she marries another guy. So here's where Rashi explains. The second guy is not like the first guy. Why? Who hates you to show me take The first guy removed this woman from his house. Nisan, the second guy brought her brought her into his house. It, it doesn't mean that every situation is like this. This is this story. Because the Torah wants to bring out a point. Which point does the Torah want to bring out? That if a man and woman get divorced, and then they wake up a week later, or a year later, ten years later. And they say, oi, did we make a mistake. That's after the lawyers became wealthy. They say, oi, did we make a mistake? Let's remarry. May they remarry, provided he is not a Kohen who may not marry a divorced woman, even his own divorcee. Not only may they marry, but it's a mitzvah to get married. That's why, parenthetically, there's an old saying that no one can perform every mitzvah in the Torah. Why not? If I want to be righteous, I'll perform every mitzvah in the Torah. Because one of the mitzvahs, so there are many answers. One of the mitzvahs in the Torah is to remarry your divorce, your divorcee. You have to get divorced first. So this is a situation where if it happens, not only may a man remarry his divorced wife, but it's a mitzvah. 
provided that she didn't marry anybody else in the middle. Because if she did, then it's forbidden. And this is the picture that's being painted here, which is why this story is being, this tapestry is being woven. To bring out this point. Verse 3, Ultimately, the second husband will despise her as well. And he's going to write a bill of divorce for her. And hand it over to her. And send her from his house. That's one situation. Or another scenario is, maybe the second husband does not divorce her. Maybe he dies. He took her as a wife and now he died. There's a cute joke. I don't want anybody to get offended by it. It's only a joke. Where this this fellow is, is standing in the cemetery and he's crying buckets of tears. Standing next to a grave, and he says, Oh, why did you die? Why did you die? Terrible. He's devastated. Somebody comes over. Is this your father? He says, No. It's your, 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 your brother? No. Your uncle? No. Your Zaidi? No. Who is this man that you're so devastated? He says, Oh, this is my wife's first husband. Just a joke. Just a joke. All right, it was a bad joke. I never heard it. I never said it. It's a lie. So he says now, The Torah informs us that being that he married this woman who was a tzatzka, he in the end will hate her. And if he will not hate her, she'll bury him. As it says, or he'll die. Because... This scenario, again, is the story where she's a bad woman. It doesn't mean that every woman is bad, God forbid, in a divorce. Sometimes the man is bad. Sometimes they're all good. Sometimes it's irreconcilable differences. But what's the point here? The point is verse 4. We, we have woven this tapestry to bring out the halacha in verse 4. Her first husband, who sent her away through divorce, will be unable by Torah law Loshuv to once again return Lakachta to take her. Lias Isha to be his wife, Hutama, being that she has become defiled to him. How did she become defiled to him? Because she had another marriage in the in, in, in between, even though that marriage ended in divorce or in death. Hashem, because this is abominable before Hashem, and let the land not come to sin. Which God your God gives you as an inheritance. And these are the few verses. There are another few verses which allude to divorce, but these, this is the main section which deals with divorce. On, on, on these few verses, an entire tractate of Gitin is, is built in Mishnah and Talmud with hundreds and hundreds of detailed laws in the laws of how to terminate a marriage. This includes a, a man who suspects his wife of having committed adultery and he declares the fact that he is concerned and he takes her to the base of Migdash. And the whole scenario of Sota, as is described in the tractate of Sota. Okay.
this is the end. This portion was, was fairly short. This is the end of this portion, and may Hashem grant that we all, B'Soich Shar, Klal Yisrael, have Sholem Bayis, peace in the home. And uh, let us all say Omein. Okay. End of Chumash portion. We-